G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Hi, I'm Mark Fine. And I'm Ronnie Lerner. And this is Footyology TV. Welcome to another edition of Footyology TV with our regular host, Rowan Connolly in China for Football and Other Matters. And once again, from the age, Ronnie Lerner. Welcome back, Ronnie. And this time, as a Bombers man, <laughs> it's not all doom and gloom. Uh, it's extraordinary. I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's a real, it's been a real emotional experience following Essendon this year, and uh, we'll touch on that a bit later in the show. So, what what did you make of round nine? What was the uh, the resonating message out of the ninth round of AFL two thousand and eighteen? Well, I think we are edging closer and closer to a Richmond West Coast grand final. I think I think West Coast. Oh, they're going to take some beating to not finish top two now. That home ground advantage is just already unbelievable. And, yeah, and the Tigers, are, they'll bounce back from that, no dramas. And uh, I think they're, they're the clear two best teams at the moment. Yourself? Yeah, look, of course, the problem for West Coast is no matter how good they are mm. at that new ground, they still have to overcome the MCG yep. deficiencies that they do have. There's no uh, question no they've question, got deficiencies yeah. there. We know that... Their forwards are in sparkling form. And remember, they can bring Ryan back at the end of the year, that wonderful jack-in-the-box that was so impressive at the start of the season. But we know that Darling and Kennedy have got lost on the wider mm. wings and flanks of the MCG. Anyhow, that's for a later date. What's been more impressive? The West Coast embracing of the new ground mm. or the return of Natanui? What do you think oh. has been the... The bigger factor. Good you, question. In other, in other words, would you rather play West Coast over in the West without Natanui mm-hmm. or face them in Melbourne if you're a Victorian with team Nat with Natanui? You would rather face them in Melbourne with Natanui, I reckon. That, yep. There's something about that ground already. It's a bit like the Adelaide Oval. I mean, you look at Adelaide, they were missing so many players the other night, but they just looked like they were just the same old Adelaide, the dominant sort of team. And really, in the wet, to win by almost 40 points, that was a really good effort. So something about that home ground over there, I don't think you'd want to fly over the West Coast. Anyhow, we can look at those games. We'll have a look at the round in full because it's time for our AFL wrap. So it's time for the wraparound. Three games get the focus, and of course the other six games get a pretty good look at as well. And here's one for you, Rowan, and for you, Ronnie, because the first game that's going to come sharply under focus is a revival of the G. It was the big country clash, Kevin Sheedy's inspiration, and 50,000-plus turned up to see the Bombers reinsert themselves into the season. It was, look... I'm not saying it was inconceivable that Essendon would win, but the manner in which they won was hard to imagine. Ronnie, 
tell us how they did it. Well, it was quite simple, actually. They brought incredible pressure, incredible tackling, harassment. Like, sometimes you have to sort of pinch yourself and think to yourself, well, hang on, Selwood, Ablett and Dangerfield are actually out there. And they're up against the midfield that has been slated in the press, and rightfully so. They have been an underperforming midfield unit. And then... Almost as if a flick of the switch. I don't know if it was the circuit breaker of Mark Neal's departure last week, you know, changing the dynamic within the coach's box. I don't know, maybe that, maybe a bit of us against them mentality, easily done in a, in a week like that. But yet, all of a sudden, you had Heppel, you had Zach Merritt. Well, Zach Merritt, that's probably his first 2017-like game. Yes, great call. Uh, Anthony McDonald tipping Woody. Devin Smith, I mean, Devin Smith's been great all year. Um, but Zaharakis, these guys who are supposed to be, you know, some of Essendon's best players, finally played like they are Essendon's best players. And the tackling was just incredible. I think at quarter time, it was something like Come 30 <laughs> This ball, <laughs> this ball is, is possessed, I reckon. Um, I think the quarter time, the tackle count was 36 to 20. That's a quarter time. The tackling was just incredible. Fantasia was big on the tackling as well. It was a real team, collective pressure, harassment effort. And Geelong just could not cope. Geelong could not cope. And how about Sean McKernan, just in his second game back, booting a lazy four? He could have had five or six quite easily as well. He was fantastic. Um, And, yeah, that, that was pretty much how they did it. And... You know, Essendon fans, a bit of a mixed feelings for Essendon fans, I reckon. They'd say, in isolation, what a great performance, sensational. But on the other hand, where has this been for the whole year? I mean, the season's almost gone. It, they're now three and six. Um, can it, can where's it be, this been? Can it be dialled up again next week is the big question. Well, that is the question. And I think for the moment, when you're sort of judging... the Bombers got next GWS week? up there. Okay, well, that's interesting. And that is, given GWS's travails, that... Is going to be a do or die game. Essendon almost will be facing themselves mm. in as much that Geelong knew that after the spotlight was shown brightly on Essendon, that Essendon were going to come out raw. Mm. It's, it, it was a matter of Geelong then getting a foothold in the game, which they never were able to do. Mm. And I'll give you, you probably know it, the most amazing stat I think I've heard in football when I heard it. Unfortunately, it didn't quite survive till the end of the game, but I could not. Simply could not believe it. Uh, but before I bring that up, Essendon will face themselves a bit this week because GWS will certainly come under the glare. Oh, yeah. Their season almost is on the line in terms of a top four already. Mm. And this is... It's t- almost top eight now for the GWS. Well, it, become, it becomes a top eight issue, but certainly top four yes. is going to be out of reach yes. very shortly. And they you know, are expected to be... A premiership contender. So that stat, with six minutes left to play on the clock, six minutes and 15 seconds, Geelong had not taken a mark inside 50. Yeah, it was 13-0 at one stage, wasn't it? And then and then they got two cheapies right at the end. That's, well, that's right. Yeah, Hawkins yeah, got out and then on the Selwood, lead. And, and then Selwood. Selwood got one, yeah. yeah. But um, incredibly, with six minutes to go, not a single mark inside 50. I've never heard that. I've, yeah. I've watched games in torrential rain. I've watched games, <laughs> uh, you know... In fog, yeah. I've watched games in darkness, St Kilda Essendon, but there were always marks inside yep, 50. Yep. And just quickly, before we go into the next game, speaking of that, Cale Hooker, probably his yep. best game since going back to defence. And yep. listen, he's an Australian defender, so it shouldn't be that surprising. He yep. tailed up Tom Hawkins and Matty D, take a bow. I mean, he's sort of, his career's been in limbo. He's one of the left, I think the, the last um, top-up player. Yep. To still be survived. He's still there. Yeah, he, yeah. he was yep. fantastic. So it was a real team effort from the, from the Bombers. And for the Cats, 
um, some implications there as well because they seem to be just again one of these teams this year um, that are taking one step forward, one step back, mm. and with the likes of Melbourne now putting together consecutive weeks of good football, Geelong cannot simply rely on heading back down the highway. Mm to set things right, can they? No, no, it's a great call. And um, they have shown in recent years that they can be vulnerable down there. I know it's very rare, but teams have pinched the odd game down in Geelong. So they shouldn't, you're right, shouldn't totally rely on it. Let's move on. And Brisbane <laughs> get their first win of the season, and they do so in style. Brisbane defeat the Hawks by 56 points, and they do it really after a, you know, a great battle in the first half. Both teams incredibly accurate. Mm. I think it was... Uh, 9-1 to 7-2 at half-time. Yep. Uh, the question was whether or not they could maintain the rage, whether they could continue to win the contested ball around the stoppages. Mm. Tom Mitchell was a one-out. Um, really, you know, mm. it was up to him and him alone. There was no Jagger O'Meara. Mm. And Liam Shields, of course, is a, a, a senior player, but beyond that... There wasn't a lot of assistance for him around the ball. Piopolo didn't do much in his first game back, played forward anyhow. Mm. And Brisbane just went from strength to strength in the second half. Beams was fantastic. He's a gun. He's, a, he's such a beautiful player. I really like now that he's sort of a bit off Broadway down here, um he's he's um plaudits sort of you know, they're they're sort of fading away a bit just because he's up in Brisbane. Oh, but no, he's dead he's one of the best players in the competition. You know, any team would love to have him in their team and and it was just a magnificent performance. It's sort of as the game wore on. You know, we mentioned this last week how they're a team that just doesn't know how to win. They've been in so many games this year yeah. and they just don't know when they get in, you know, when they're still in the game or they're sort of in a position where they may be able to challenge for four points. They just don't know what to do. This time, it was almost like, nah, we actually know, we know, you know, we're 30, 40 points up now. We're going to keep going and they eventually swept themselves to a 10 goal win. So. Once the floodgates open, I mean, look. Early on, there were highlights. Cameron Charlie Cameron might have taken mark of the year. Yeah, the that, was, that was a ripper. That was unbelievable. Uh, Eric Hipwood, who I've been critical of in the past um, for his lack of possessions. He's always shown the athleticism and the ability to kick from a long way out, but he was a genuine target. And mm. After taking a few marks and kicking three goals, in fact, he didn't take that many more marks because every time he went for the ball, he was free kicked. Mm. Mirror became uh, a bit conscious of the fact that he was out outsized on the mark by him, pushed him in the back. Um, he was manhandled a couple of times, and in the end, he was a menace. Zorko, two good games in a row now yep. after coming under the spotlight. Andrew's commanding off the back line. Luke Hodge was great in exactly the role Brisbane wanted from him. McCluggage good. Uh, there was so much to like about Brisbane. Stefan Martin... Got the better of Ben McAvoy. I don't think Hawthorne had a winner besides Mitchell, who was great. Yep. And really, for Brisbane, they look anything but a bottom team. No. Nah. They're, they're going to take some scalps. They're almost, yeah, they're, they're, they're probably the best of the, the bottom four teams. They're, oh, they're yeah. One of the teams that looks like there's a real future, oh. in a way. And, and you know, the, the other thing I'd like to say about the Lions, Hawthorne got out of the gates today. Like, they kicked four of the first five yeah, goals or something, yeah. and it looked like, oh, Brisbane, here we go again. But to then... You know, heading into that game 0-8 oh and, and to find them within themselves to say, hang on, we're not out of this, turn the tide pretty quickly and then just go whooshka. That's a, that's a really morale-boosting uh, performance against a team that many, you know, only two or three weeks ago said it was a top-four 
contenders. So. And, and a few lesser-known players as well. Cutler played very mm. well. Lewis Taylor continues to have yes. impact on games of football. Rayner didn't do that much, but gee, he's a talent. And Jared Berry, you know, they've got a lot of good players in that team. And yeah. I think the days ahead for Brisbane fans, I don't think any of them really were that upset with how things were tracking. Mm. And I really feel a sense of excitement on their behalf yep. for what lies ahead. And Brisbane and, and footy up at the Gabba seems to be uh, seems to be the most exciting place for footy these days, doesn't it? So. Play the game outdoors. <laughs> Let's get to the last of our feature games. And, of course, it was always going to be the top-of-the-table clash between the, the Eagles and the Tigers. Uh, these two teams started round... Or left round eight, started round nine, two games clear of the rest of the pack. So this was not only top of the table at stake, but really a, a gap between the Peloton and the team that won. And that team was West Coast, and what a fascinating game it was. They win by 47 points after leading heavily early. Mm. It's level at halftime, yep. and away they go. Talk us through, first of all, the Richmond comeback in that second quarter, and then how West Coast broke the shackles. Well... In that second quarter, the Tigers just, um, they seem to be getting the ball quite, uh, they got their hands on the ball a lot more than they were getting it in the first quarter. And they just seem to, like they've done in previous weeks with teams, um, mainly in the second half, but they sort of brought it forward in the, in the second quarter where they just almost like flicked the switch. They were sort of a bit dusty, finding themselves in the dusty, <laughs> excuse the pun. Well, um, dusty was dusty. <laughs> he was. He's been for a little period there. See that chest mark he dropped? Oh, that was extraordinary. I was watching with the mate. I thought to myself, what, what is going on there? Is, was the, did the sun get in his eye or something? It wasn't the most extraordinary thing of the round, though. I'll tell you that at the I'll, end of your summer. I look forward to hearing it. But they just seem to... Everything just seemed to click like it always does in like the third or fourth quarter, usually for the Tigers. And West Coast actually didn't really have answers after that. And and they really got their, their, um, their tails up and they were playing such confident football. You thought to yourself at halftime, you know, the way the game's going, like Richmond could actually, there's a chance the Tigers could actually kick away here. But, to, you know, similarly how we just praised Brisbane, to West Coast credit, they sort of looked the beast in the eye and said, nah, we're, we're not going to, you know, you're on our home deck. We're not going to let this go the way the game seems to be going. And just, you know, the, the, they're such such good ball users. They, they use the ball so well in Perth, West Coast. And... I, they use the ball so well all year, really, but it just seems to be such a crisp um, uh, manner in which they use it over there, especially. And their forwards were, I mean, Jack Darling, is he having a season and a half? I mean, yeah, you know, I, th I think of some footballers, and I think their best and worst is almost indefinable. They yeah. are consistent performers week in, week out. I think of Jack McRae at uh, the Bulldogs. He's, he's been great. He's, he's a smoky for the Brownlow right now. He's a smoky for the Brownlow, I reckon. But just, you get that output every yes. week. Yeah, the difference between Darling's worst and best. He is the girl with the curl. I mean, <laughs> really, last year he he was sour, and yeah. he just his kicking was off, his application was off, his everything about his game, and he is playing brilliantly. He's the best one grab mark in the comp now. And uh, you know, to there were you know he was having a, he's obviously he was having a great year heading into this round, but he still had some doubters. Well, I think he's put that all to bed against the best team in the comp. What he had? 20 touches, 14 marks, 6 goals. He could have had 7. He missed a real easy one late on. Outstanding. He is really um, probably the only real lock for the All-Australian team in the forward line right now. He's been yeah, that's a good point. remarkable. 
It was it was a, a great win by the West Coast Eagles. Again, it's easy to point to their known star players. You look at that back line, and I reckon it was very, very Jeremy McGovern in the third quarter. How good was he? But you know what? Barras wasn't far behind him. Yeah, yeah. And how, how about a bloke called Nick Dabnoy? Well, yeah. And also, how about the role that Yo has played in the last two weeks yeah. as they run with yes. player? Yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if it's because he's sort of got his knee bandaged. Yeah, he hurt well, his, his, his knee. He, he yeah. hurt himself a bit today as well. Yeah. But he gets the ball as well, and he's a creative user. So he's, he's a really, um, he's a sort of a, a multi-pronged um, force. But they've got all these, these sort of, um, these first-year, second-year players like Waterman, um, Rioli, uh, even uh, Tommy well, Pat- Cole. Tommy Cole's becoming a decent player. Yeah, and Patrick Shelley got injured, but yeah. he was looking like a good player. I yeah. mean, all credit to Adam Simpson. He has, in a, year, in a year that would be, he would know, would be the making and or taking of his future. I mean, mm. he couldn't really have afforded another year no. outside the eight. There's not a lot of yeah. tolerance for Victorian coaches yes. that fail over in the oh, West. Oh, absolutely. And it d- wouldn't have done much for his currency... He really said goodbye to Prittis, said goodbye to Sam Mitchell, albeit for a year, but said goodbye to the old guard and embraced a, a young, vibrant future and more power to him. And just quickly before we go on the next game, um, speaking of the old guard, Mark LeCrae, who, who could have seen this? Exactly. Seen this? Well, that, that he finished last example. year like he was gone. Yeah, they gave him an extra year, they showed the faith, and boy, has he repaid that. Yeah, just, just one thing, you know they've got... The when you watch the football live on TV, I think Foxtel does this. Um, the predictive uh, when a player has a set shot at goal, like it'll sort yeah. of say from this position, yes, he's had five shots, four goals, one behind. Mm. Well, that was the prediction from for Chris Maston for 45 meters mm. out. And when I saw that graphic, I thought to myself. Which Chris Maston are they talking about? <laughs> and you missed and that shot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it sort of just drifted across. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. You know, went half post, <laughs> half behind post high. But yeah. I was thinking, what Chris Maston <laughs> kicked 4-1 from there? Yes. That's just, that is right on his button. Uh, now, I, I was going to tell you the oddest thing of the round. Oh, yes, that's right. What was it? So, uh, look, uh, at this point in time... Brisbane were getting stuck into Hawthorne in the third quarter. Yes. And I saw something I couldn't believe. Charlie Cameron took a mark in the goal square. <laughs> now, he was two metres out and he marked it in the goal square. His momentum carried him outside of the goal square between the point post and the behind post. Yes. He kicked the ball 30 metres back to Dane Beams <laughs> on a 45-degree angle. <laughs> now, he would have been set in the middle of the goal square, two metres out. Oh, oh, so within the goal... Yeah, he, he marked it clean That's in bizarre. the goal square. That's real unselfish I don't know football. Whether, <laughs> correct. I don't know whether he got disoriented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beams kicked the goal. Yeah, of course he did, Beams. But he was 30 metres out on a 45-degree <laughs> angle. And Cameron actually would have kicked that ball from two metres out directly in front. Well, that is real taking team first to the next level, isn't it? It certainly is. Let's go through the other games. Adelaide Western Bulldogs start off the rounds... Um, look, the weather played a part. It did. And so did the inexperienced Bulldogs forward line that uh, probably wasn't... You know, I would have fear for them in those conditions any day of the week mm. against any team. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, 214, 26, uh, you're about... You've got a good stat, but in the VFL AFL, that is the Dogs' uh, second lowest goal tally in history. Only twice in their... 
four years in the VFL AFL have they kicked lower than three goals. So well, that's that is a an incredible stat. Now you <laughs> know that Fitzroy. Uh, f- first of all, Footscray. I've I went and did. I love the prehistory of the uh, VFL from eighteen ninety seven. The VFA, uh, St Kilda, my own beleaguered Saints, <laughs> played Footscray in the game in the eighteen eighties, and Footscray is called zero zero. Oh wow! In those days, points really weren't counted, even though they were recognised. But it was zero zero, and I was hoping that that might be embraced because the lowest ever score is zero one by St Kilda. Ah, missed that by that in, much. But that was in eighteen ninety nine. Did you know in a game in the nineteen fifties, the Bulldogs were playing Fitzroy. It was a very wet day right across Melbourne mm. at the Western Oval, and with twenty five minutes gone in the last quarter, Fitzroy were on zero zero You're zero. You're kidding. Fitzroy, by the way, had won the week before <laughs> quite comfortably. Do you remember it? <laughs> no. But, um, but that, they were on 0 0 0. And I think it was the Baron, Alan Ruthven, oh, yeah. who kicked a skidding goal. There was a lot of surface water. Yep. Kicked an a aquaplaning goal <laughs> for their only score, 1 0 6. Well, uh, it's not the, f- the last time that, uh, the, that the, the Fitz- was it Fitzroy that were 0 0. Um, late in the game, yeah, round one ninety five, Essendon were seven ten fifty two at half time. Fitzroy were donuts, and I think they were one straight at three quarter time. Yeah. They they ended with a flurry though. They finished four six thirty. So oh, <laughs> all's, all's well that ends well. Let's move on to North Melbourne and GWS. This was always going to be a hard game for GWS because North is so good in Hobart, yep. and uh, they really didn't give them look. To GWS's credit, they in the second half of the second quarter they mm. flew at North Melbourne, but they did not give them a sniff in the second half. No. They really controlled it. Yep. Goldstein had his best game for the year, yep. I thought. Yeah, and well, Ben Brown. Oh, well, Ben Brown indeed. I mean, you, the first half he was nowhere to be seen. Third quarter, five goals. One, two, three, four, five. If you don't mind, you know he says, "Robbie Gray, I see what you do. Well, look, look what I can do. Yep. Five goals in a quarter." Yeah, brilliant. It, He's just, he, he, right now, I know we talked about Darling earlier, but I, I'd say Ben Brown's probably the best kick for goal in the comp right now. He's just a magnificent shot for goal. He's, he, he kicks him almost from anywhere. And like you said, the, the, the Giants were, like, they kicked six goals to two in that third quarter, and they look like, oh, hang on, they've really come to play. But then the Kangas, ten goals to two in the second half, and the Giants just ground to a halt. It was a mixture, it was a bit of column A, column B, this one. The Giants really, um, you know, they were... They seemed a little bit out of their depth in the second half. I know they're missing a lot of key personnel. And when you come up, you know, it's a sort of, you know, a team that's missing so many of their best players up against a real tough, hardened, skillful veteran team like the Kangaroos, especially down there where they've now won 12 of their last 14, you really have to be playing at your A game, you know, for most of the game. And, and you don't do that, you lose by seven goals. I'll say this about GWS. I've got a lot of players out, but that doesn't excuse... Some of their senior players from playing some bruise-free football at the moment. Yeah, I would say. And also, you know, we spoke about Darling coming from a very poor season in two thousand and seventeen. Mm. Well, I've got to say that Jed Anderson. Yes. I, nobody had any hope for him at North because North supporters were actually quite infuriated by what they had traded mm. heavily for. But yes. he's playing some good footy. Being, he's, he's right up there for, in the tackle count for North at the moment as well. So they'll be wrapped with that. Well, let's head to China and Gold Coast. 
Uh, much like last year, um, didn't fire a shot in the second half. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were sort of competitive in the first half, and it looked like they were more invested in the game. But, um, well, I, I don't know whether or not they um, had an early flight out <laughs> or whether there was another booking for the table at um, Youngstar because <laughs> they, they were just terrible in that second mm. half. They didn't score in the last quarter, and they scored one goal for the second half. Port Adelaide just sort of got through their work and... To be honest, it wasn't much to inspire about the entire game. No, it was a pretty ordinary affair. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, you know, the AFL, what the AFL's real agenda is, is taking games to China. But if you really want to promote the game, I'm not too sure Port Adelaide Gold Coast is the right combination to be taken over there, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, listen, uh, yeah, as you say, they sort of, the game never really re- reached great heights. Uh, they sort of kicked away in that last quarter. Uh, Pal Pepper, good to see Pal Pepper. He's had a tough year. Good to see him kick a, a, a couple of goals. Yep. But, um, you know... Do you like Sichuan pepper, by the way? Um, it's the one that numbs the end of your tongue. No, I can't say I like that sort of stuff. You prefer pal pepper to Sichuan pepper. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Correct. Uh, uh, Ronnie likes his pepper spice. <laughs> That's a Seinfeld-ism right yep. there. Um, but Boak was quite good, led from the front uh, as, as a skipper. And, and Rockliffe's actually starting to put some decent footy together for the pal. Yep. Um, but other than that, yeah, what are the... It was a pretty lacklustre affair, and I think we're going to talk a bit more about this game in the future segments of this show, I think. Yes, we will. Let's move on to Saturday night, and Mm. Sydney versus Fremantle. This game was done and dusted um, almost from the first bounce. Freo just could not get a foothold. Buddy came back. He was more menace than real... real... um, Damage, mm. but he, he is menacing. Yeah, he does these those bits of brilliance, you know that you know can just he ends up with three goals. Yeah, you know? and yep. but yeah, well, do you reckon he's got a case to answer for that little elbow no. on Alex Pierce? Well, what's, sorry, what, Joel Hamlin. Joel Hamlin. So what's what's the outcome of that? Um, well, he has he he took no further part in the game, failed the concussion test, Hamlin. Yep. Uh, obviously, it wasn't in an in intentional elbow, but it was incidental. It'll be interesting to see how that one goes. Maybe a fine. Have we not heard about it yet? May- um, I, don't, I haven't heard about it. Okay. I think Saturday, Sunday gets done on the Monday. Monday. As far okay. as I'm aware. Yeah. I know this much that the. And I'm quite happy with how it's running with the match review mm. situation or, or the trial by Christian. <laughs> uh, but the more decisions that have to be made, the more opportunities there are for contradiction. And I mm. feel that's why I felt it should always have been done by two people. Mm. So it's sort of a, a, like a double blind in psychology, you know, psychology testing where you can always refer back and say, well, you know, uh, we've both looked at it, but this is the verdict without actually saying who came down with the verdict. Yeah, it's interesting. And the problem is that... Um, yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult given what happened with Nat Nui in a yes. legal tablet yes. to defend Franklin, but I think he gets off. Mm. Um, yeah, Freo couldn't get a foothold in the game. I thought Tom McCartan played really well. Yeah, he, did. he took a really nice strong mark late yeah, on. And for his, and didn't he get swamped after that as well, his first goal in yep. league footy? But, I mean, as you say, they were... Um, well, Josh Kennedy, how good was he firstly? You know, equal career best three goals. Um, you know, they... That's that's a, you really want that in your team. A coach would love that when when you get yep. goals from an unlikely source or multiple goals from an unlikely source. And he was um, it was a very good play for them as well. And uh, would you have a look at Sydney's best? And I don't disagree with this. Lloyd McVeigh, 
Rampy Mills, you know, more players coming off the half back line, but not their not their front line mm. pin up boys. No, that's right. And that's a good horse would love that as well. Yep. But as you say, I mean Freya were on one goal like like midway through the third quarter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, they finished with a bit of a flurry. Well, it was a flattering. The margin flattered them. They yeah. were never in it. So. Some respectability. Yeah, and, and just quickly, before we go on to the next game, uh, free away from home, they're just a different side, aren't they? They, I think Ross Lyon um, signalled this at the end of the Richmond game. He was he was fearing that they're becoming a side that really is becoming comfortable, uh, the, the, the home comforts at home, and just not playing, bringing that same uh, anywhere, anytime club mentality, and I think he's got a very valid point. Let's move on to the other Sunday night game, St Kilda Collingwood. The Pies get up by 28 points. Incredibly, this is the closest game of the round. Yes, 28 points, exactly. Uh, St Kilda led by a point at half-time, and they were good value for the lead. Collingwood were making a lot of mistakes, so, and apart from Daniel Wells and Pendlebury, mm. there was a lot of frustrating football by Collingwood. One got a sense that uh, it was very much going to be a case of get... Some small things right, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, you're going to win the game, which is what yeah. happens. St Kilda, uh, really, from a list that doesn't, you know, bristle with stars, they've got a lot of players out now, and that was starting to show. I must say, and uh, from a personal standpoint, it's really sad for me to say this, because I had a great year on radio with David Armitage, and at his best, he was a really great, powerful mm. You know, dynamic footballer, but injury has got the best of Armo, and mm. he can't play out of the middle anymore, and he looked to struggle. Mm. Good news for St Kilda was Nunes, but Collingwood up the other end had Goey, who was fantastic, Pendlebury, who was great, Wells, who was silk, yeah, and that was just too much. Yeah, it was actually really. I thought it was quite an entertaining game for quite a long period. Like there was real, real um, momentum shifts. Yeah, yeah there was. You know, uh, the Saints kicked a batch of goals. Kyle kicked a batch of goals. The Saints were then again kicked a batch of goals. Yeah. But then in the second half, um, I think as you say, that sort of that class and that, that more polish um, really sort of separated the two teams. And as you say, Dugowie, I mean, whew, you'd want to you'd want to sign him. I tell I mean, you what, his bags are five and six in the last three weeks now. I'll tell you what, without Paddy McCartan, and look, he'd certainly have a spot in that team, Paddy, and Josh Bruce, you've got a real problem when your key forward is a real good hard worker but can't now kick a goal. Tim Membry just can't kick a goal. It's ridiculous. It's fascinating what's going on. It's, I'm, it's one of the mysteries of 2018. Such a beautiful yeah. dead-eyed dick has yeah. just lost all confidence. Incredible. You so. know what? I watched the golf last night and I saw Jordan Spieth, who I think is one of the great putters, not make a single putt, he mm. just putted terribly. Mm. I guess it can happen. Yep. Uh, let's move on to Sunday, and uh, we've only got one game for our short look, and mm. that will please Carlton supporters because, <laughs> look, Melbourne are really getting through their work now. They put Gold Coast of the sword yep. at the end of that game, and this is a great sign for Melbourne because it's something that they have not done in previous years. It will guarantee them a spot in the finals at last because percentage is booming for the Demons on the back of the ability to put poor teams away. And look, Carlton without the Kurnos, um, Murphy first game back. No Casbot. There's no, there was no real no Kaz- target up forward, no was No Casbot. You know, they've got some guys in that team. Like, Marchbank still. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Marchbank. Yeah. Uh, Weedering's in the VFL. Weedering's, I don't know yeah. what his story yeah. is. Mm. Um, and this is a team that, unfortunately, was a boy on a man's 
mission today. They got under undersized players. I, the kid in number four, you know, he's not ready for league football. Yeah. O'Brien, skinny, isn't he? Skinny. Sort I of. mean, Zach Fisher moves well, but yeah. this kid O'Brien, he's not ready for to play league footy. Jed Lamb's running around, you know, like, you know, puffing billies, <laughs> you know. He's, Having to crack at everyone. He's, he's all anger, but but there's not a lot of footy on the back of it. Liam Jones might be, you know, a, a cult hero, but he's a pretty poor fullback because he kept letting Tom McDonald get out the back, which he often does to his opponents. Yeah, Lynch and Ben Brown managed to kick career bests on him while he was doing that. But, yeah, the Ds would be very pleased with this. It was only three points of difference a quarter time. 15 goals to two in the second half, if you don't mind, and some big records. It was Melbourne's biggest win in 25 years, uh, it was their first 100-plus point win since 2004, which incidentally was against Carlton. Yep. It was their biggest win against Carlton in their history, and right. yep, and it was also their eighth biggest win ever. So a great day for Melbourne, a rare great day for Melbourne. And strange, really. Oh, good that um, Viney was back as well. Yeah, that was good. He'll only get better. Yep, yep. You know, when they go forward, they just, they were so dominant, all they needed was the ball in safe, classy hands. Mm. And do you know who the safest and classiest was all day? And I'm not talking about... People say Neil Bullen, but he's a beautiful finisher. But when he gets a ball, he can get dispossessed. You know who their most assured person going forward is? Jake Melcham. He is strong on the ball. He uses the ball well. He kicks that goal when he should, and he passes when he should. He has developed, he's matured into a really good footballer. And they're using him up forward, which he was never really used at Essendon. They found the role for him. And can you believe that Melbourne are enjoying success, reverting back to their failed 1970s sky blue? Yes. I don't know why they went back to it, but it looks good. Looks they're good. playing well. It looks good, yeah. That's it for our wraparound. Time now for Hot or Not. It's time for Hot or Not. And I'm going to start with the Not. You know, I often change these because I had pre-prepared ones. But uh, you know what? You know, I'm just going to say this to any of our Jewish listeners out there or viewers. <laughs> Oy vey, because the two worst teams in the competition are St Kilda and Carlton. And traditionally they've had strong support amongst the Red Sea pedestrians. And I would suggest that um, it's going to be a, a 40-year... Forty years wandering in the forty years wandering in the desert for those two teams because Brisbane are clearly better than you. Gold Coast haven't played a home game yet, so when they do, they're better than you. Uh, St Kilda have got injuries, and they weren't that good before the injuries. Carlton got injuries, and they weren't that good before the injuries. So we revert back to the you know in the first four years of league football, St Kilda won the wooden spoon each year. This is a surprise. <laughs> but Carlton finished second last each year. Oh, there you go. And in three of those years, their only wins were the one or two games they played against St Kilda. Oh, so I thought you were going to say against Essendon. <laughs> back to the early days, oy vey. <laughs> That's a good one. I'm also going to start with a knot. You know, let's get this real negative... Um, I'm, I'm liking this negative uh, train of thought that we're going. The Western Bulldogs, we touched it on it earlier. Two goals in a game. Uh... Yeah, I know they had, what, 16 scoring shots? But seriously... Did Eddie Betts beat them? They did? Oh, no, he may not have. He may not have. I don't know how many points he kicked. He kicked four goals. He would have gone close. Yeah, he would have gone very close. And that's happened a few times this year, actually, plays beating teams. Oh, yeah. It's happened a few times. I think Ben Brown beat Carlton. 
Uh, Dusty beats... Actually, three players beat the Lions earlier this year. Yeah, I think it was right. Dusty, it was Castagna and Townsend all beat the Brisbane Lions this year. Yep. Um, so this is a nice little segue. But seriously, gonna it's a Friday night game. I understand the conditions were not great, but Adelaide didn't seem to have too many troubles. They played really good football, and they were quite quick in wet conditions. They used their outside speed quite well to kick two goals in a game. The Bullocks have played 1,925 league games. Only twice have they scored less than three goals in a game. This is pretty embarrassing. Now, I know, you know, it's a year where the Dogs are probably going to take another hiatus from uh, the finals. But you're on the big lights of Friday night. You've got to offer up more than two goals. Surely, Finey. Well, they didn't. The 2.14 might explain their woes. My next one's a hot. Mm. Can you believe it's a Carlton player... Out of their 109-point loss? No, I can't believe it. I'm sure you'll make sense of it. You know, there's a Carlton player that I just really like, and today, in adverse conditions, first of all, weather-wise for a little man, because it was rainy and slippery, and then, of course, his team was getting absolutely pulverised. Mm. There was no braver performer for Carlton, no more willing Tyro than Zach Fisher. Now, Zach Fisher looks like he was playing Little League at half-time and <laughs> stayed out there by mistake. His number 25 jumper, the 25 takes up... It goes from his from his hairline to his bum. I mean... Is it Fev? Is it the same one that Fev wore? <laughs> such a little boy out there, and he's very, very good. He's a ripper. He is a ripper. He's very good, and I just... I just want to give him a hug and say, it's OK. And you know what? Players like that, like Skinny Lappin and... and so hey, Simpson. There's so many players like that, you know what, they actually become... He's quite strong, obviously, already, but they are... Michael Tuck, wiry strong. He's going to be around for many, many years. I look forward to your 250th game, Zach. You're 300. (laughs) It's interesting you mentioned how slippery and wet the conditions were. Melbourne kicked 25-9. Yeah, well, that is pretty good. They going. were walking some in. I mean, they Tom were. McDonald was scoring tries. He <laughs> was. All right, well, I'll go with a hot as well. You've inspired me. And my hot is actually a man that we've sort of touched on already, and that is Jordan Degoe. Boy, oh boy, can this guy play. Sure, he sort of he came into the system as probably a midfielder. Yeah. But Bucks has identified him and thought to himself, you know what, you're actually quite a strong young man. And that's quite in vogue these days. You've got Zeebel up forward. Dusty goes up forward for periods. And Bucks has obviously thought to himself, well, you know what? Why can't Jordan do that? And, you know, they they have been bereft of goal-scoring options at times this year. Fasolo's been in the VFL all year. Um, you know, Moore, Reed, Cox can't really be that reliable. The goal has been absolutely magnificent. He's kicked five goals two weeks ago. He's kicked six goals this week. Boy, oh boy, Collingwood, I'm not quite saying it's blank check time, but seriously, sign the boy up because he is a genuine talent. And uh, I know he's, we all know he's got his well-documented off-field issues. He's not the yeah, most... Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. I'll take a bit of a minute. Exactly right. He'll fit in nicely at St Kilda, actually. <laughs> well, you know what? St Kilda have, been, St Kilda have shown some interest I'm sure. They're, they're going to put some pressure on Collingwood, but Collingwood will re-sign him. Yeah. Hey, are you a fan of the movie Shop? Am I what? I mean, it's, it's my favourite Australian movie, probably my five favourite movies of all time. Absolutely. Do you remember when Shopper was in the pub talking to the two detectives? Yeah. 
Oh, where are you going and, with this? <laughs> where are you going with this? Well, he said to one of the detectives who, who <laughs> said that uh, Chopper was making up some of the stories, he said to him, you're on the goey, mate, which uh-huh. is a nickname for speed. And, <laughs> and the copper said to him, me, you're on your Chopper, you're on the goey. Well, the last night I was asking who is on the goey. <laughs> Thank God. So, I mean, Chopper, if Chopper's on the goey... He should have been playing for St Kilda because, you know what, uh, there were times when nobody was on the goey. Well, it, I'm very relieved that you were bringing up that part of the, the uh, movie because when you mentioned Chopper in the bar, I thought you were going yeah, to bring yeah, up yeah. when he was trying to put it, impress, put it away, Chopper, <laughs> impress a female um, companion. And, uh, well, and just on the goey before we... I remember one of the very first press conferences I attended after he got drafted, I asked... I didn't know how to pronounce it. All I knew was um, the former Chelsea goalkeeper, Ed Dehoe. Yep. So I said to Bucks, how's Dehoe, uh, you know, fitting in? He goes, oh, I think his name's Dehoe, mate. I go, oh, all right, well, I've only ever known it as Dehoe. He's like, all right, uh, we'll, play, we'll pronounce it the Aussie way. So it's, it is Dehoe. Do you like Buckley's beard? Well, you know what? It's an interesting. It's, I love how you brought this up because I reckon it's um, there's a correlation between Bucks's stubbly sort of two, three-day shadow to Collingwood's rise I like to it. a good team. Yeah, I, think I, I like it. Yeah, I'm, he's not going to take any crap anymore, Bucks. Yeah, yeah the clean-shaven Bucks is gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I've got uh, another hot, and it's a fantastic Eagles goal in the last quarter. Yep. <laughs> Which one do you think? Well, you know, if I'm going to be uh, smart about it, I'd say West Coast, but I have a feeling it's not a West Coast goal. No, it's Matt Eagles for... <laughs> I mean, this is this late bloomer. It's a great story, it really yeah. is. What, what is he, 20, 28. 28 years yeah, of age. Yeah. He looks like he looks like Joe Suburban footballer, you know. Which he of, pretty much is. Sort yeah. of, you know, the life life blood of the club. Yeah. I'm talking about a good good suburban yeah, team, yeah, you know, yeah, A great yeah. ammos, yeah. brilliant defender, just stalwart of the club. He's ended up playing AFL football. He's not out of place and he ventures forward against Hawthorne to kick the sealer. And yes. they have engulfed him. That is one Eagles goal. Even Tigers fans would have enjoyed today. Yes, that's a good call. And speaking of the Tigers, I'm going to go a hot as well. And it's not a Tigers hot. It's the team that they played. West Coast, they are a serious, serious team now. Um, if you had your doubts heading into this round, I think a big exclamation point, well, maybe two exclamation points were put on it this week. They now lead the ladder. Who in their right minds had West Coast finishing in the eight this year? I did not have them in the eight. Neither did I. I did not. I don't know many people that did. You know, I got a couple of things right. I didn't have Essendon in the eight. That's pretty good. At the moment, is okay. Yeah, I think you're pretty safe there. And I had Geelong eighth, which I'm pretty comfortable with. Well, I had. I also had Bulldogs in the eight, so that's so good. I had Port Adelaide scraping in the eight, and I'm happy with that at the moment. I didn't get seduced by that big recruiting spread. But West Coast, take your hat off because. You've just been simply sensational. Oh, by the way, eight, eight I, I had, uh, here's a problem for me. <laughs> I had Richmond first and Hawthorne second. Ah, yeah, and that's not so good today. Probably not. No. Up to last week, it was going. On. Yeah, it was. Good. Anyhow, <laughs> not that's um, a little bit of uh, self-serving rubbish. But <laughs> I like your best. You're hot, the West Coast Eagles. I just asked that question that I asked earlier. How hot is it at the MCG? where we play for all the pennies. Mm. I well, need to be convinced. 
No, I agree. I don't think they're going to win the premiership, but I just I just reckon they deserve so much credit and so so much congratulations for the season that they're putting together at the moment. Eight and one, eight wins in a row. Richmond is still my premiership favourite. I actually tipped West Coast today. Uh, I thought Richmond aren't the best away from the MCG. They struggled against North last week. Um, they got pants by Adelaide early, early this year. Um, they just seem to love the MCG so much. And if there's a ground in the AFL that you want to love, it's the G, because that's where finals footies played. That's where the ground finals played. So for me, Richmond's still the premiership favourite. West Coast, still magnificent. Okay, I've got a really tough question for you, and I want to ask it. Just going to take a couple Shoot. of minutes. This is a little... Uh Unprepared, but yep. I reckon it's a fascinating time to ask who's the best player in the AFL. The best because, player. You know, we came into the season, we thought Dusty was the bee's knees, mm-hmm. Dangerfield, but, but no. Then Buddy, not sure. Who is the best player in the AFL today? Right now, today? If, if you have the schoolyard pick, you won the toss, oh. you can take first choice. Well, I would go with Buddy if that's the... If that's the scenario. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know I, what? I'm not far off Nick Nett. Yeah, he's right up there he's as well. so influential. He, you're very good call. He is so influential. Very he good is call. A yep. hit out winning oh, he be- forward yeah. momentum. He becomes tackling. a midfielder. Like, as soon as the ball hits the deck, he's a midfielder. And the, the, he chased down Dan Butler today. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. He's a freak. I love watching yeah. him play. Love I mean, watching if, him if he play. continues in his physical re- re- recuperation, re- Recuperation? Recuperation. Yeah. I think he's beyond recuperation. Yeah, I think he's well and truly past Rehabilitation that. Yeah. onto strengthening rebuild. Yeah. He could end the season as the number one player in the comp. That's a very good call. Yeah. But again, you know, it, it's just really fluctuating at the moment. Alex Rance is still influential. Jeremy yeah. McGovern's influential. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And even even like a guy, Gray. a guy like Rory Laird. Well, I mean, he's yeah, just... I'm not as big a fan of Rory as some, some people are. Oh, I think he's having a very good year. Yeah. Jack McRae, we even mentioned him. You know what, Patrick Cripps, yeah. given the team he plays yeah. for, he's, it, it's an interesting call. It is. And it's, sometimes you look beyond the obvious, and I'm telling you, Pendlebury is still a wonderful yeah. footballer. Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know where all those knocks came from earlier in the year. He's still class. Yeah, class. so, yeah, just an interesting nah. discussion point. Now, I've already, because it's a bit more serious this week... Uh, I've taken a bit of time out and I've already done my rant. Oh. So when we come back for the rant off, <laughs> it's this man <laughs> in the gun. It's time to take your pants off. Actually, we'll be probably pants off. As he rants off. <laughs> it's <laughs> rant off time and... Because mine's a, a special edition pre-record gold label rant, not really, uh, you're up live, mate. I thought that was a reference to Stephen J. Pig, they're keeping your pants on, keeping your pants on, Alan Mans, all that sort of jazz. Those, <laughs> those days are long gone. <laughs> now my pants are on. And it's Ronnie Lerner to rant. <laughs> well, I thought, you know, the AFL's viewed as quite a cynical organisation, very, um, you know, empirical, you know, rule by the fist, all that sort of stuff. I really thought on Saturday that they added a new bow to their um, their repertoire, for want of a better word, and that's just being a troll, fine. And what I mean by that is playing the China game at the same time as the Tasmania game. Could you have been more cynical and more, how you say, shove the, shove the fingers up, 
you know, up Tasmania. Give the give the two finger salute to him. That is that was. It's it's widely viewed the China this China venture. It's widely viewed as you know a bit of a junket, a bit of a waste of time, a bit of the AFL big noting themselves as I oh, look at us now we're on the international stage, all that money spent to get over there, <laughs> and while and, and all the while little old Tasmania, Tassie really reminds me of almost like a. Um, like the the girlfriend or the boyfriend in a in a relationship that just will do what it he'll he or she will always be there you know the partner will the partner being the AFL will treat her or him as badly as he or she likes and knows that they'll always be there and that's how the, and that's how Tassie's been treated and and it couldn't have been brought into more sharp focus than on Saturday when you had the the game in China playing concurrently with the Hobart game when all that money could have been used so much more wisely in developing what is such a rich tradition down in uh, down in the state of Tasmania. It's it is absolute, um, you know, footy Aussie rules footy is just in it's in the fabric down there, and it's being left to to die on the vine. I know that they've just very recently started to intervene and try and do something about it, but it's quite stark and. What a waste! What a waste of money! This China. A lot of people think I'm one. Think this whole China excursion is. It's not gonna. What is it going to achieve? China doesn't care. You know, it, it, it was it was billed as going to be potentially the most viewed game in history. Yeah, well, technically that might be right because it wasn't a few free air networks in China. But most of the viewers would be check it out. What's this? Oh, this is pretty crap. And flick it. That'll be it. So technically, all those eyes were on the game for a period. Seriously. The if if the AFL's priori- priorities being out of order could have been any more, you know, brought into sharp focus. Saturday was that day. I thought. Well, there you go. An anti. <laughs> China, no, what, not anti. China. <laughs> China. Very much, very much one of many voices, not too keen on that game. But if you think that was unfair, Ronnie, if you think that you're a bit cynical about that. Port Tasmanian game coming up against the China game. Yes. How about St Kilda? St Kilda don't get many blockbusters, certainly not in their current form. So playing Collingwood as the home team at Etihad was the one chance of the year to make money. That would be an all-time low for Collingwood at Etihad on a Saturday night. What was the crowd? 33,994. Why? Because, of course, Prince Harry had to get married... (laughs) Whilst and couldn't play Collingwood, and let me tell you, there were plenty of wives that told their husbands, I'm not going tonight, and neither are you. Or, <laughs> you know, normally families go, oh, a lot of people stayed home to watch that marriage. You could be, you could be onto something there. Is there, is there a and you know that, that <laughs> black preacher that uh, was part of the ceremony? I heard about it. I didn't watch much of it, to be honest. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I'll tell I heard you what. It. Had Essendon lost his along, I heard that he was in line to take the reins over. Oh. Let me tell you, That's a big talk. scoop. He can preach. <laughs> For those of you expecting my normal humour-filled rant, tongue-in-cheek, they're probably not that funny, I apologise because I'm getting serious tonight. And I'm getting serious about Open Mic this week, another great interview by Mike Sheehan, this time with Mike Fitzpatrick. I want to set aside Mike Fitzpatrick's wonderful playing career. That's not in question. He came to Carlton... In 1975, he played in three premierships, captain two, and the Rhodes Scholar was every bit the blue blood leader that Carlton yearned for, and he led ably from the front. 
His was a great football career. I speak of his time as chair of the AFL Commission. And it was about that role that he was asked by Mike Sheehan, read the Asada affair, asked whether, if he had his time over, he would do anything differently or whether the AFL did anything wrong. And he was steadfast in saying that the AFL was not to blame, that Essendon clearly were taking performance-enhancing drugs, something that remains unproved. And his answer simply resonates amongst those of us that believe that as great as he was as a footballer, so he was flawed and wrong as chair of the commission of our great game of AFL football. Just look at his time in charge. In fact, I remember when he stood down in 2017, or when not stood down, when his time was up. I was on radio and I refused to sing his praises as those many did, given that he'd served for 10 years. And I am very comfortable in that decision now, especially after listening to Mike Sheen and Mike Fitzpatrick during the week. Why? Because he was a man who was conflicted in a business interest with his interest in Homebush Stadium and all things football Western Sydney. He should never have been both involved with Homebush and chair of the commission of the AFL. The AFL commission also played, of course, an enormous role in creating Gold Coast and GWS, but he stepped beyond and outside what is reasonable in creating and being behind the creation of GWS to engineer a super team that he believed would guarantee support on the ground. It became an obsession of his, along with his able deputy, his field marshal, his Oberstumbahnführer, if you will, Andrew Dimitriou, they had a vision and damned if they weren't going to get that vision through. After one year, GWS, despite being afforded an enormous amount of concessions and opportunities through the draft, many more than the Gold Coast, Mike Fitzpatrick came out and said the AFL reserves the right to add to their draft choices, to add to their opportunities, given that in their first season they only won, I think, one or two games. They quickly, by season two or three, outstripped expectations and that never happened. But nothing sums up Mike Fitzpatrick's time in the game more than that famous call that he quietly denied to Richard Collis when finding out that GWS wasn't going to be the home of Buddy Franklin that he had engineered, but it was going to be Sydney. He went berserk. He threatened Collis. He said, how dare you? Reminded him that he was the man that kept Collar afloat for the Sydney Swans. And between him and Demetriou, they pulled the rug from the Sydney Swans, simply spoiled children taking their bat home after going out in a game of cricket. These spoiled brats wanted Franklin at GWS to be the pea in the pod, to be the key, the final link to their guaranteed success. And when he ended up at Sydney, they screamed blue murder. Now, is that the role of a chief commissioner of a sporting organisation? Surely that chair should be held by somebody who is impartial, looking for a fair result for every club, not for one club of his own creation, one club, by the way, the crikey, that website that keeps us all honest pointed out in 2009 
the creation of GWS or Western Sydney in the AFL would have considerable financial implications, positive ones, for one Mike Fitzpatrick. They told of the future. So back to Mike during the week. And what was so wrong with his answer? Here's what was wrong with his answer. Once again in the ivory tower, so deluded by what the real role of chair of the AFL should be, takes no responsibility for what Asada was in the end. It ruined lives. Look at Heard, look at Thompson. It ruined careers. Look at Joe Watson. It ruined families. Look at all of those families of the players, the 34, besmirched by the affair. It ruined and has affected the Essendon Football Club. It was a black mark on the game. There were no winners. And yet this man is still willing to say that the AFL did nothing wrong and if he had his time over, he wouldn't change how he acted. That is a man who shouldn't have been chair of the AFL, just as great as he was as a footballer. So he was wrong as the chair of our great game. He wished to engineer, he wished to control, and he wishes now to look back at history and take no responsibility. It's funny, you know, call it karma, call it hubris, call it the footy gods, or call it just inevitable, but he and Demetria did not get to write their own lines in history. They didn't get to guarantee their football immortality by the creation of a wonder team in the barren west of Sydney. And they didn't get to orchestrate their own exit from the game. Asada and the Essendon affair took care of that. It claimed Dimitri before his time and it left Mike Fitzpatrick leaving meekly stage left with many questions unanswered or in some cases answered very negatively for him. So for Mike Fitzpatrick, open mic was again an open book into the man that shouldn't have been a commissioner and the guide to how not to run a sporting organisation in this country. Ronnie, I want to thank you so much for ably deputising for Roco over the last couple of weeks. Of course, you are part of footyology on a regular basis. You do your tips. And, and, and the previews with Punch yep. do that as well. Yep. So, no, it's great to have joined the team this year. And it's been a lot of fun filling in for the last two weeks with your good self, Finey. So, it's been great. Well, he's not back from China yet. <laughs> not yet. It's <laughs> true. He's still going to pass customs. And I did ask him to pick up a, a briefcase <laughs> for me from... A boat just off the <laughs> Chinese mainland that he used to bring, bring back through Hong Kong. Uh, you haven't asked him to sort of uh, insert anything into his bodily orifices, have you, uh, Fine? No need, no need. <laughs> if he comes back with the briefcase, we'll catch you on Free to Wear. And if he doesn't, you'll be back next week. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ronnie. Been a pleasure. I want to thank mysportlive.com.au. And, of course, I want to thank Andrew. Yeah, oh, he's a, he's a done a mighty performance in the last two weeks. I'm sure he's been doing a mighty performance all year, but I've only seen these two weeks. And he's a magician. Pulling the levers makes all the magic happen. If there was a chapel here, he'd paint the roof. <laughs> Catch you next week.